Um, it'll be up on screen in a minute one way or the other. If you've got your Bible with you, turn to John chapter 15. Um, I feel like this thing's going to fall off at some point. If it does, I'm just going to pretend like it's still there and keep on talking, okay? <coughs> John chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. Um, we're going to be talking about this subject of uh, what it means to actually be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What it means to actually have a, a, to bear fruit in your life. How it is we bear fruit and how we bear more fruit. Um, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And as we look at John chapter 15 and we start here in verse 1, uh, and if you'll follow along with me, I'm going to read, and then we're going to go to the Lord in a word of prayer. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's go, Lord, in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for the many blessings that you've given us. Lord, we thank you that we can come together and worship you. That we can come together and look to your word, Lord. That we can come together and gain understanding. That, Lord, we can come together and we can just, as a group of believers, spend time with our pastor. Spend time with our church. Lord, as we open your word, I'd ask that the message would be yours, that the words would be yours and not mine. That, Lord, the application would be yours, that the interpretation would be yours. That, Lord, in everything that is said here today, that your truth would be on full display. That you would use it to change hearts, Lord, that you would use it to change lives. And, Lord, I thank you because I know that you have said that your word would not return to you without having, a, without having achieved its purpose in your design. And, Lord, I thank you again for all that you have done for us. And it's in Jesus' name. I'm a context person. I think that if you really want to understand Scripture, if you really want to get to the heart of what Scripture is saying as its interpretation, um, the reality is you have to have context. You have to know that the verse is not sitting alone by itself or the verses are not sitting alone by themselves, but they are part of something larger. If you look at John chapter 15, you go from about 13 to 18, you find Jesus in what's the last evening, the last night before, um, before his trials, before his crucifixion. You find his last opportunity to teach his disciples to teach his, his 12 some truth, to, to really lay some things out for them. And if you look at this, this series of chapters, like in John, you find some of not just straightforward, deep teaching, 
but you find some of the most relational, some of the most intimate teaching that he has in the entire book. John sort of lays it out in these few chapters. And as he lays out this teaching in these few chapters, there are several things he's going to talk about, but in all of them, it's sort of this preparation. He's about to leave, he's about to go, and he wants to hit them with some things that really matter, some things that they need to take with them and remember. And when you get to chapter 15, Judas is gone. He's already left. He's gone to do what it is that he's, he's going to do. He's gone to sell our Savior. That's his purpose. That's his intent. And Jesus is left with his 11 disciples, the other 11. Well, let me rephrase that. What remains of the 12? How's that? And what he's going to do is he's going to give them some real truth about the difference between what's real and what's fake about the difference between having a genuine relationship with God, having a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, and having something that's fake, something that's not real, something that's not got any substance. And so when you look at chapter 15 here and you start, I'm going to end up getting this thing where we go. Um, There are three statements he makes here that I want to look at, and all three of them have to deal with this concept of abiding. Remaining, being in, dwelling, having a place in something. All three of those statements are what we're going to look at, and there's a lot more that we could get into. There's a lot more that we could just dig out of this passage. And if we had hours, and guys, I could speak for hours, but I'm not going to, like we could really tear this passage apart, and we could really look at a lot of things. But I want to focus on these three things about abiding, because these three things about abiding talk about our relationship with God. They talk about our relationship with Jesus Christ. And more importantly than that, I want you to listen to me here. They sort of bring to light how it is that God can get the absolute most out of our lives. They talk about how it is that God can get the most fruit from us. And so if you look here at John chapter 15, I want to start, but I don't want to start in verse 1. We'll come back to that in a second. I want to start in verse 5. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus takes a moment in this conversation. He says, listen, there are real branches and there are fake branches. There is a real branch that's connected to the vine vine and is dealt with by the vine dresser. And that real branch is going to bear fruit, right? You look at these two plants up here, and I told Jonathan, I said, I'm thankful that they're here because they provide a great focal point for this entire illustration. (laughs) These plants, you can look at them and tell immediately. Um... These things aren't ever going to bear any fruit, are they? I'm pretty sure there's never going to be a seed one dropped by them, a spore put out by them. You're not going to bend over and take a big whiff of that plant right there, mainly because they don't flower, but you're not going to take a big whiff out of them and be like, oh, wow, this smells amazing. Why? Because they're not real, right? They're fake plants. If I'm shocking any of you, if that's a spoiler, I'm sorry, but these plants aren't real, okay? They're not real plants. There's nothing about them. They're not going to grow. They're not going to put down roots. They're fake. Jesus has his 12 together, and he says, listen, every branch that abides in me, it bears fruit. But if it's not in me, 
if it's a branch right there sitting amongst the vine, pretending, posing, acting like it's one, but it's not one, that branch is going to be taken away and it's going to be thrown in the fire. And guys, take it at its very basic level what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that you'll ever lose your salvation. He's not saying that, listen, if you aren't bearing enough fruit, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to kick your rear until you do it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there are real vines or real branches and there are fake branches. There are branches that are a part of the vine and there are branches that are not a part of the vine. And those branches that are not a part of the vine, he's going to take them away. His disciples are going to look back on this night after a few hours, after they find out Jesus has been sold um, by Judas, after they find out he's going to be crucified. They're going to go back and they're going to look and remember that he had this conversation. And Judas was right there amongst them, but was never a part of it. He was right there with them, but he was never actually one of the true disciples of Jesus Christ. Right then, right there, the illustration becomes true. It becomes real. Right then, right there, they, they begin to understand him. There are real branches, and then there are branches that aren't. Look, each and every one of us either has a relationship with Jesus Christ or we don't. That's the nature of it. Either you've placed your faith and your trust in him, or you've not. You walk after him. You follow him. You surrender to his lordship. You are obedient to him, or you're not. It's that simple, it's that straightforward, it's that easy. Before you go anywhere else, like that is the essence of this conversation. Let's go back to verse 1 now and let's look at this. He says in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father's is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 1 is a botany lesson for all of us. It's a horticultural lesson for all of us. If you get right to the beginning of it, Jesus is teaching something that they already know. He does this. He does it in chapter 3 when he talks about the spiritual birth. Everybody already knows how birth works, right? He does it in chapter 4 when he talks to the woman at the well, and he talks about water that brings life, and you'll never have to draw again. You'll never thirst again. They understand this. He gets here, and he says, listen, I am the vine. He says, in my father, he's the vine dresser. Well, what's the vine dresser? He's the one that prunes the vine. He's the one that works the vine. He's the one that picks it up, that puts it where it, needs, where it needs to be. He's the one that ensures that the vine does exactly what the vine is supposed to do. He says, that's my father. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, but you, you, all of you, he says, you're the branches. And now that's an interesting concept. You look at a tree, you know exactly what a branch is, Right? The branch is the thing that shoots off to the side, puts on leaves. If it's a fruit tree, it puts on fruits. If it's a nut tree, it puts on nuts. If you look at a vine, the vine is the main trunk on grapes. And every little branch that comes off of it is where the leaves come on and where the grapes are formed. And that's what the branches do, right? The branches bear the fruit that the vine is growing to produce. That's what branches are. He says, listen to me, in this illustration, he says, I am the vine and you're the branches. Now, that's a beautiful statement. I'll tell you why. Because it gives you purpose immediately. You look at your life and you say, what is my purpose? Why am I here? As a Christian, you don't have to ask that question. You know what your purpose is? Anybody? Bearing fruit. Glorifying God, right? That's it. And so here's this simple botany lesson. Here's this simple thing. You are.
are the branches, and branches bear fruit. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you can't help but bear fruit. It's reality. That's just the way it is. What does that fruit look like? Listen, guys, fruit takes on a whole lot of different shapes when it comes to spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit is growing in faith. It's growing in love. It's growing in hope. Spiritual fruit is growing in patience and long-suffering. Spiritual fruit is telling others about Jesus Christ. Spiritual fruit is teaching others and discipling them in Christ. Spiritual fruit is living an increased life of righteousness and holiness because of the work of God in you and not simply because of you yourself. What does spiritual fruit look like? Guys, I can't label it as just this one thing and tell you if you've not led 50 people to Jesus, you've not been doing your job. Why? Because God knows what he wants for you to bear. God knows what he wants for you to produce. And God's going to shape your life and cultivate your life to exactly bring about that. Should you be leading people to Jesus Christ? Absolutely. If you're not, guys, listen, it's your obligation. You might look at Brother Jason over there or look at Jonathan there and, or me and say, hey, that's your job, but I got bad news for you. No, it's good news for you. I lie. It's your job too. That is the reality of being a branch. We talk about to and fro all the time. Listen, the reality of bearing fruit is that we're spiritually stable and we increase in that as well. That's the nature of it. And because you are a branch, you're going to bear fruit. That's reality. You look here at what he says, and he says in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Not only is your purpose to bear fruit, but the purpose of God is that he gets more fruit out of your life every day. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. And by the way, if you're sitting here and you're saying, yeah, but that's not fair. I got bad news for you. He is God. And he has that right. If you have an objection to that, you need to spend some time with God. Because that's just the nature of it. Verse 4. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And then we get here in verse 4 to the first of the abide statements. And he says this. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus sets up a very simple truth here about salvation, a very simple truth about discipleship. And it's a truth that, that we all need to take to heart. It is a relationship. You look at the statement, he says, abide in me and I in you. I'm going to tell you it's very simple to get this if you're looking at a branch. Go cut a branch off of a tree and then take it back to the tree. Is it ever going to grow no, you just take that thing up there, you slap it on the side of the tree, wrap some duct tape around it, and see what happens. You've cut its source to nutrients. You've cut its source to water. You've separated it from the tree itself, right? Listen, for a branch to live, it has to be connected to the tree. Whether it's grafted in or it's grown from it on its own, it has to be attached to the tree. Without the tree, without the vine, the branch is dead that part we get that's easy to understand we look at us as disciples of jesus christ at him and say absolutely that's right i'm dead without christ i'm dead without a relationship with him i get that 
But then look at the other part of it. He says, if you abide or abide in me and I in you. Where do you think the fruit comes from? It comes from all the stuff that the vine provides us. The vine has the roots, doesn't it? The vine's the one that pulls the nutrients. The vine's the one that pulls the moisture. The vine's the one that brings those to the branches that they may bear fruit. It is a relationship thing. That's the whole intent here. He says, abide in me and I in you. And the idea being, you don't just depend on me to live. You depend on me to grow and to bear fruit. You depend on me to be able to do what it is that I've given you to do. And the first statement here makes about abiding in me and I in you is a relational-based thing. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? We were talking the other day about this concept of easy beliefism. People who are like, yeah, I, I know that he's Jesus. I know that he's the Son of God. But they've never surrendered to his lordship. They've never acted on their faith. They've never trusted him. They've never followed him. And they have this basic assumption that mental acknowledgement of something or easy beliefism provides the salvation when the reality is that, listen, if you don't have faith, and guys, that's much more than simple acknowledgement of a fact, then there is no relationship. A relationship requires us to trust him fully. To follow his leadership, to be obedient to him, to accept him. You can say that something's real, but if you aren't living as though it's real, you've got a red flag. You've got a question you have to ask yourself. Look at what he says. Let's jump down to verse 7. We've talked about 5 and 6. We've talked about the nature of there being two kinds of, of branches, the real ones and the fake ones. But look here at verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, I love this. This is amazing. Again, we're going back to relationship here. And this is fantastic because this. Go back to when you accepted Christ as your personal savior. Go back to that moment that you placed your trust in him, that you said, you know what, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go after you. I'm going to let you be the Lord of my life. I'm going to do what you ask me to do. Go back to that moment in your life when it happened. Go back to the first time when you just, when you first opened the word of God, you began to understand and began to read it for yourself and, and get an understanding of it. Or that first time that you listened to the preacher preach after you had accepted Christ as your Savior. And you've got this desire even so, Lord, come quickly. You've got this desire, thy kingdom come. You've got this desire, God be glorified. You've got this desire to see other people come to Jesus Christ. And listen, that's not something that originates in your earthly nature. That's something that originates in the fact that you have followed Christ, that you have a relationship with Christ. That's something that is proof of the new creation that is in you. It's something that's proof of what Jesus has done in you. As Christians, there is something inherent about each and every one of us that we desire our friends and our loved ones to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? Listen, I don't want anyone to die and go to hell. 
Absolutely not. It's something that changes in who we are at the moment that we accept Christ as our Savior. I want other people to have the kind of close personal relationship I have with Christ. It's a part of being redeemed to desire that, right? And by the way, you know where that comes from? It comes from the fact that we abide in Him. We've experienced His love. We've experienced His power. We've experienced His salvation and His redemption. And because we've experienced it, we want it for other people. But now fast forward to where you're at currently. Let's flip the coin and look at the other side of it for just a second. Who's going to walk out here and be so completely stressed out about work that you're going to forget what you heard five minutes ago? Who's going to get up Monday morning, get so caught up in office gossip or get so caught up in the morning news that they're going to forget that they care about what happens to people for all eternity? You say, I'll never forget that. I bet you have. How, how do I know that? Because I have. Because I've let the concerns and the cares and the worries of this world set me off course. I'm not proud of it, but I'm going to admit it. Why? Because we need to be real about it. So what does he say there? He says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. You know how to maintain this focus on your purpose, this focus on what God has given you to do, this focus on your work? You let his word abide in you. What word? How about for God so loved the world? That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How about I know the plans that I have for you? How about for the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is everlasting life? How about I am the vine? How about we remember those words? Take those words, hide them in your heart, commit them to your memory, make them a part of how you live your life, of how you go about your life. Make that the next step in the relationship you have with Jesus. I value what my Savior says, so I will pour over it, and I will dig into it, and I will learn it, and I will memorize it, and I will study, and I will let it fill my life and who I am. And let that be the thing that guides my steps and directs my path. It's relationship, right? The first part of the relationship, abide in me and I in you. The second part of the relationship is abide in me and let my words dwell in you. Let them fill you. Let them be the thing that consumes your focus and gains your attention. And then let it be the thing that leads you to, get this, to bear more fruit. He says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Jesus provides a wonderful way of us understanding this point. Did you look what he said at the end of verse 7 there? He says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Anyone here asked for a Ferrari and gotten it yet? Anyone here asked for a brand new mansion and gotten it yet? A 200-foot yacht? Still praying? You know what, as a Christian... I don't need a Ferrari. As a Christian, I don't need a mansion. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, I don't need a 200-foot yacht. 
If I abide in Christ and his words abide in me, you know what I'm praying for? May your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If I'm abiding in him and his words abiding in me, I'm saying, Lord, give me a day or an opportunity today to share your love with someone who needs to know you. I'm saying, Lord, give me a chance today to demonstrate your love to my brother or sister in Christ. I'm saying, Lord, today, guide my paths and keep me from wrong and from evil. I'm saying, Lord, today, thank you for what you've given me. He says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I'm not saying he's going to give you your Ferrari. What I'm saying is he's going to change what you desire. If you dwell in him and his words dwell in you, you know what you're going to desire? He said his will. That's exactly what it is. You're going to desire his kingdom, his will, and what he wants for you. That's how it changes. That's what makes it happen. So that first statement is, abide in me, I abide in you. That second statement he makes is, abide in me, let my word abide in you. But look here. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. But he's not done, because he really wants us to understand this. So he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. From a very early age with Jace, we began to teach him a truth. And it's a simple truth. It's a wonderful truth. You may not like the truth, and if you don't like it, I'm sorry. That's just, actually, again, I said it wrong. I'm not sorry. If you don't like this truth, um, there's something you need to check out here. God's standard for proving your love to him is your willingness to be obedient. That's the reality. Are you always going to be obedient? We're sinners. By nature, we have a sin nature, and I'd love to say that today I'm perfect and I have not sinned since I accepted Christ. But the reality is, guys, I have failed. I have failed, and I seek my Savior's forgiveness every time I do. I want to restore that relationship with him. I want to keep it right. I want to keep the things which would get in the way of it out of the way of it. So I seek his forgiveness. But that's what his grace and his mercy is for. But he says, listen, if you love me, keep my commandments. You want the proof of love that we have for our Savior? It is keep his commandments. And so from a very early age, I taught my children, look, if you love God, you'll keep his commandments. That's the way he sets it out. So you can say all day, look, I love you, I love you, I love you. But if you're not willing to do what he gives you to do, if it never enters into your mind to be obedient to him, if obedience to him is the last thing you ever think about, then let me ask you a simple question. How much do you love him? He says here, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And he says, look, the third thing here is you're going to abide in my love. It's a wonderful statement. You know what his love is? Coming to this earth and dwelling as a man. 
living his whole life amongst sinners, loving them, teaching them the truth, being rejected by them, and dying on a cross for theirs and our sins. The fact that we are redeemed means we abide in his love. His love and the Father's love is what opened the door. His love, the Father's love, is what gave us the opportunity. His love and the Father's love is what made the way. It's what made the sacrifice. It's how we have salvation. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, guess what? You abide in his love. Well, that's definitely not what it says, you guys. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you abide in his love. But look here at what he says next. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It's about this. The whole conversation starts off with like, look, if you are mine, you'll bear fruit. You can't help but bear fruit. It's the nature of what you are. It's the nature of who you are. You get to the end of the conversation. He's saying, look, if you're mine, you will bear fruit. And the way you bear fruit is abiding in me and me in you. And the way you bear more fruit is by knowing my word and keeping it in your heart while you abide in me. And then he says, and if you want to bear even more fruit, if you want to bear the most fruit you can possibly bear in your life, it's a very simple thing. Love me. Love me as I've loved the Father. That's what he tells us. If you want to abide in my love, if you want to experience the full benefit of it, if you want to experience the full capability of glorifying God in your life, love him like he loves the Father. How? It's obedience. It's, that's, that's it. Your standard of obedience, my standard of obedience, it's the same. It's total, absolute, it's complete, it's full. We'll get to that in a second. He may ask you to do something else. He may ask you to move from Indiana down to Arkansas. Guys will love it down there, okay? <laughs> he asked us to move from Arkansas to Indiana. We love it up here. He may ask you to stay right where you're at and open a Bible study in your own home and invite everybody who lives around you to it. Fantastic. Do it. He may ask you to move halfway around the world. He may ask you to just make sure that your children know full well the love of Jesus Christ. But whatever he asks you to do, his standard is always the same. Obedience. That's it. That's the nature of it. That's the reality of it. Look what he says here in verse 12. You want to fully understand the love of Christ? You want to fully understand what he means by obedience? Verse 12 may not be up there because I want to add it to the end of this. But it says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Guys, I got, I got good news, bad news for you here. Um, we know the standard. The standard for love is to love like Jesus loved. How much did Jesus love you? Unconditionally, sure. But he loved you enough to die for you, didn't he? He loved you enough to be nailed to a tree. He loved you enough to be beaten with a whip. He loved you enough to be mocked at. 
and spat upon it so that you could have everlasting life. Are you willing to love that way? And I don't just mean him, but are you willing to love one another that way? This is not a commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So what's the obedience? To love like Christ. Unconditionally, you bet. And willing to give all that you are for him. Verse 11, though, says something wonderful here. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy is full. Anyone here ever unsatisfied with life? You can be honest. Anyone here ever have moments where you're down, discouraged, depressed, where you can't find something good to reflect on or to think about? I can give you a simple way to have joy no matter what. I can give you a simple way to not just have joy, but to have it full. Have it joy overflowing, joy so much that it overflows into the people around you, your life, and they can experience it just like you are. I can tell you how how to have a joy that doesn't care how bad things are, I can tell you how, how to have a joy that fills each and every day of your life full. Bear fruit for Jesus Christ. Share spiritual food. Have a relationship with him. Have his word dwelling in you. And love like he loved. You have that, and you'll have a joy just like our Savior had. And you'll have joy that's way too full for you to ever well we'll just have joy that's way too full if y'all will let's bow your word in prayer <clears throat> Lord we thank you for this day Lord we know that we must have a relationship with you we know Lord that the beginning of bearing fruit is having that relationship with you Lord, we ask that you would just get the most glory out of our lives. That's our desire, Lord, and we know that that's a desire that you would grant. And so we ask that you would give that to us. Lord, we ask that you strengthen us to stay in your word. That you empower us to love like you love. That, Lord, you give us opportunity to share your love with the world around us. Lord, if there's anyone here who's lost sight of the joy that comes in serving you, Lord, we'd ask that you would just show it to them that they would see it in you. And Lord, if there's anyone who does not have a relationship with you, we'd ask, Lord, that they would come to know you. Lord, that they would have that relationship, that they would abide in you and experience the life you give, Lord, the work that you do, and the joy that you promise. We thank you for all that you have done for us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a 
that is a melody. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. Sing this out. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the
All right. I really, I can't follow that. So anyway, um, raise a hallelujah. Remember, our Jesus defeated the grave. And so as we go out this week, just remember that. Remember, we have him behind us. Be bold. Tell people who your God is. Let them know that you follow Jesus. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Hang out as long as you want. Talk, do whatever. All right, let's pray. Dear God, Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, I want to pray that if there's one that doesn't understand that love, Lord, that they will come to know that love before they leave today. Lord, I pray if there's anyone among us right now that knows that love but has walked away, Lord, that they'll rededicate right now. Lord, in this time, it is so important to make sure we are producing the fruit you need us to. Lord, we just ask that you'll continue to watch over us. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Have a good week. Whoop, whoop. This podcast is a ministry of Church on the Rock in Brownsburg, Indiana. We hope that it has challenged you to grow deeper in your walk with Christ. If you would like any information about our church, please visit our website, www.churchontherockbb.com.